Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Morning and welcome to Let's Talk Autism. I'm Nancy Allspot Jackson. And I'm Shannon Penrod. And so thrilled to be with all of you this morning. We've got, uh, I, I, we, I, I should say, we're both in different places than we've yes. been before when we do the show. Uh, tell us where you are, Nancy. I am at Special Spirit uh, at Moonshadow Ranch out in Sunland. I've been out here this morning with Ava Lunn, the executive director, who and founder, and we're going to have Ava on the show in just a little while. We love Ava. We love us. Ava. I'm in Ava's office right now. That's very cool. And I am in my office now at the Autism Network. We're it's still not done, but we are uh, finishing up uh, the studio. So hopefully, we're going to be in the studio again soon. And I wanted to show you, Nancy, that in my office I am featuring. Can you see that I have some Y art on the I wall? I see. Up there? Which is he's got pretty an wonderful. egg carton and a wine carton that he's painted. I absolutely do, That's which is absolutely wonderful. wonderful. And um, and we're going to pause here to to talk a little bit about why it is doing. But I also want to remind viewers that if you didn't see last week's premiere episode of Stories from the Spectrum, really want to encourage you to check it out because we think it's some amazing work. All the work was done by people who are neurodiverse. Uh, most of them on the spectrum, but all of them neurodiverse is how they would classify themselves. And in that series of videos, there's, a, I think, a wonderful video that features Wyatt and his art. It's called Why Art. And that uh, wonderful video was produced by your son, James Miller. Completely end to end. So proud of him. The assignment was for him to go and make a short film about Wyatt and his art. And um, he wrote the whole script, positioned all the cameras, did all of the editing, everything, everything, everything was him with no help, support or anything. So we, we super loved that. And I just loved the perspective of it because I could have made a video about Wyatt and his art. I would have loved to have done that. And it would have been very different. I just, I loved that. It felt like to me a love letter from one friend to another because yes. they've known each other for a really long time. And, and the, the line in it that just choked me up the most was when he was talking about Wyatt's focus and how specific Wyatt was being painting and the choices that he was making. And that my son said, it made me wonder, what is it that Wyatt sees? Because I think that's what we all want to know. Wyatt paints the most amazing pictures. And it just, 
it it's like for a moment we get to see what Wyatt sees and it's beautiful, Nancy. Mm. Absolutely beautiful. So what's he been working on lately? Uh, well, he's got some more cows that we're going to show today. We love the cows. Uh, yes, I think this is his ninth. There are two. There's one. Look at that. That he I named mean, Peaches. Peaches. And I had said to you uh, last week that I thought you should make a calendar a of calendar. the cows. And one of our viewers wrote in and said, a calendar. Yeah. And of course, now I, I, I think you're all about that now, right? Yeah, I love the idea of a calendar. Look at the expression on that. that one he names peaches. He named peaches. that cow peaches. For uh, and then a friend loved that and wanted a sort of a black and white version of that. Ooh. Ooh. Um, so um, there's the uh, black and white oh that he did. God. A little bit more primitive. That one's a little more folk arty, I think. But I, look at the eyes. Yeah, I love on the eyes. that cow. Right. And so, what is this one named? This one is named Archie. Archie. Well, okay. Uh, but and then I think I eye. included a picture of Wyatt painting with him. Um, that I don't know whether Traven has that. I, well, that's Wyatt painting at his his studio, which is basically my dining room. He's grown up so much. Look at that jawline. <laughs> look at you know, he's a young man now. It's kind I of know. amazing. Yeah. And look at that. So is that another packing carton that's Yes, different? that's a packing carton that he's painting. Just Stunning. Yeah. Just stunning. So, and then there's the the O'Keefe in the corner. Yeah, there that, that I've was always a Georgia O'Keefe painting that he had done. A uh, copy of a Georgia O'Keefe painting. Um, but amazing because he has so many eclectic different styles um, mm -hmm. and, the, and the color studies that he does. But when I, they're amazing. I just love his color studies. But then to see that he could do, I don't know if you guys can see in the very background there in the corner, it's a it's a painting of a building at night with some of the lights on, some of them off. And to the painstaking amount of attention you have to do to paint those little windows and how precise he was about it. I remember seeing that many years ago when he did that and going, oh, Nancy, I I, I mean, it, he's not yeah, just he, a little talented. He's yeah, a I lot think he talented. did that when he was about 12 or 13. It's just you, you just lose your mind. Um because he, he's got so much ability. And of course, I loved the, the years that you and I were on the phone almost every night. And I would, I would talk to you. And in the background, you know, Wyatt would be doing color studies. And he would be saying to you, so what color is that, mom? And then you guys together, you'd be like, well, is that a peacock blue? Is that more of a cornflower blue? And the conversations uh, that you guys would have, I always thought were so poetic. Uh, loved it. What an amazing, and is there another picture, Wyatt, or have we reached the, um, oh, look at that. Look at you guys. You're so cute together. Thank you. <laughs> I just love it. Uh, stunning, stunning artists. So again, if people want it, want to get a painting, they uh -huh. can buy paintings that already exist if they haven't been purchased already, but they right. fly off of your inventory. They have been, and Traven just put up the social media for Facebook, uh, but also you can commission a painting if you have yes, a picture you can of, a painting. of a person or a building or a, or a dog. A dog. Yeah. A I think he's going to be doing a horse next week, but okay. which will be his first time doing a horse. So that'll be interesting. Amazing. And of course, many people have written in and just said, make me a cow. Yeah. He's uh, made a lot of cows. I, we love the cows. 
They're, they're, they, they're so whimsical, I think uh-huh. is the word that I want. Absolutely love them. Uh, absolutely amazing. Well, again, if you want to commission one or want to buy one, please just reach out to his social media or they can, is, that's where they need to find you on Facebook, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Fantastic. We're going to take a short break and hear from our friends over at Z-Pods and then come back and do In the News before our guests stick with us. Right. My Z-Pod, it helps me sleep. It's easier for an autistic person to sleep in there. A Z-Pod helps me sleep better. So Z-Pod allows for complete control of your sleep environment. The big idea is how do we help people sleep better? I'm George Bailey and I'm the president of Z-Pods. My name is Jeff Wade and I am one of the co-founders of Z-Pods. I like that I can close the Z-Pod and that it's around me so nothing can come in there. Micah is 10. She was staying up for like three days at a time. We tried weighted blankets, melatonin. We've tried a sleep study because we thought she had sleep apnea. My experience with the Z-Pod has been wonderful. Micah's sleep has changed tremendously. I'm getting more sleep because she's getting sleep. Because of her autism diagnosis and her schizophrenia diagnosis, she was up all night. And I wasn't doing well in school. I used to sleep in a closet. That was the only place that she was feeling comfortable at the time. Since she started with the Z-Pod, her sleeping has improved. The first night, she was in bed, on time, and asleep. My son, Juden, he's neurotypical. It takes him two hours to get to bed at night. But with Z-Pod, it's completely transformed his sleeping. With Joseph, he's autistic. He's very high energy, high anxiety. Joseph would just bounce around his room all the time at night. Joseph has been using his bed now for almost two years. It has become like a real nook for him, just a place where he just feels restored. Helped him decompress, helped him wind down. I read in my Z-Pod, I play games in my Z-Pod. Now that he's sleeping better, I think that all of us are sleeping better. We have taken all of the suggestions that we've received from parents about how we can improve this technology. And we've put together a really exciting new bed that we're going to be releasing onto the market. So we've partnered with a local manufacturer who's invested into Z-Pod. We've got speakers in the new Z-Pods that will allow you to play nature tracks or meditation tracks. We're going to be creating what we call a sleepscape, where the sleep environment changes according to your individual preference. What we want to do is we want to give a name to sleep that gets kids excited to do this thing that is critical to their health. I could recommend it to good people. Have you ever slept in a Z-Pod? Where do I crawl into one? I know. My favorite line is he says, I would recommend it to good people um, because because they're the people who would want this, good people. Uh, I love that. Uh, Absolutely amazing. I know we all need to have one for a nap, right? Right. Uh, Z-Pods. So uh, anyway, we've got two amazing guests that are coming up, and we've got a little bit of news before that that we want to go over. The first study is a little bit dense. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit, Shannon. Yeah, it's from neurosciencenews.com, which should have been your first clue that it would be a little bit dense. Yeah, I think but I love the simplicity of the question being asked and the tar- title of the article: Does autism begin in the womb? Yeah, that's that's simple. That part is. Yeah. And then the summary is kind of 
understandable. I understood the summary. Researchers found idiopathic autism occurs as a result of epigenetic abnormalities in hematopoietic cells during fetal development, leading to immune dysregulation in the brain and gut. So that's that I can understand that autism occurs because of epigenetic abnormalities. Well, I I was having to look all that up. So if you understood that, you're way ahead of me, Nancy. Well, we know what epigenetics are. I get all fuzzy on that. If you know, tell me. That's how when environment is uh, impacts genetics. There we go. I I like always think that it has to do with the environment, but I'm never a hundred percent sure. It's, it's the Im- impact of environment upon genetics. But what I had, what I really needed to look up because I'd never really heard it before was the hematopoietic cells. I didn't I didn't know what those do, and the fact that they're saying it has something to do with the abnormalities in the hematopoietic uh, cells. I'm slaughtering that during fetal development really caught my eye. So what I found is that these are the cells that are responsible for making your bone marrow, Mm. which as we know is a huge, huge impact. Your bone marrow helps to create your red blood cells, which that's basically your immune system in a nutshell. So, um, oh, uh, I'm just reading things that uh, (laughs) Draven is sending us. But in any case, uh, I, I do want to say that what what's very interesting, I think, about this article, two things. One, that we're pretty much at the point where for so long we've said, look, it seems like there's an immune dysfunction, dysregulation that goes hand in hand with autism. And that immune dysfunction has something to do with the gut. And I feel mm-hmm. like, Nancy, it was 10 years before we could get anybody to listen to us about that. And right. they finally have done enough research that they're saying, yeah, it's we're pretty much done with that. There is an immune dysfunction. It does have to do with the gut. But guess what else we found out? That it seems that the first time that we can point to that there is an irregularity that leads to that immune dysfunction and that gut dysfunction is in the womb. In the womb, right. And that's important because then we then when we start to look at that, those epigenics, what is it in the environment that's causing that? Then we're looking at different things. Yes. You know, what, what is triggering that in the womb that causes that immune system to dysregulate where we see kids who are having huge pain in their gut. We see kids that, that aren't able to handle um, things that other people can handle, which Mm -hmm. is a whole, like there's a whole wide range of different things that, when you have immune dysfunction, your body is going to react in a different way to all kinds of things. Right. Like, like, um, you know, air pollution, mm-hmm. um, that's going to react differently to allergies and pollen and all things of those nature. So there's a lot there to unpack. I thought it was a little fascinating, but the article is dense. If people want to go read it. Neuroscience. Neurosciencenews.com. The next article is from Spectrum. Uh, which we love a lot of their yeah. articles and stories. And this one is interesting. The headline is tainted kids and other odd phrases are cropping up in autism studies. And basically um, it goes on to say how in a lot of autism studies, words like 
describing autistic children as tainted kids and medically introverted and referring to autism as a disease or a medical imbalance. And, you know, obviously these are not, this is not good. Yeah. Um, and, In fact, they, they, I think they have a good name for it, but I call it crap science. They right. call it complete gobbledygook. Complete gobbledygook. Um, and it's basically what they are known as is tortured phrases, tortured yeah. phrases. And this is all very disconcerting, right? Because people, you know, I think we're all interested in science. I think we all want to know what science says. But when, when things are coming out in mainstream science, I also note that most of these studies came out during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't know what that has to do with anything, but it seems to be a little bit of a pattern that a, a bunch of studies have been dumped onto PubMed and PubPeer and that as people are going through and doing the peer review for them, they're, you know, people are calling this stuff out and saying, this is crap. Right. And it's important that we have people who call these studies out. So, and it's not just about autism. It's uh, they're, they're, they're doing this with other things as well. And it kind of makes you wonder who's behind all that. Mm -hmm. Didn't that like send a little shiver yeah. down your spine? Yeah. Uh, so more important than ever that we be looking at the science and looking carefully. We've had people on the show before, Nancy, who would come on and say, here's how you look at a study to see, you know, you want to see if it's peer reviewed. You want to see if they included uh, parts of it where they say the limitations of the study, that if it doesn't include any of that, then you really are on shaky ground. But now we have to look for people who are putting these phrases in that are not science-based, not accurate, and and really inflammatory. Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of makes me sick to my stomach. Um, but our last story of the day is a feel-good one. I the think- The good one. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Do you want to start? Uh, it, the, the headline is that top companies are seeking workers with autism. Um, and major employers such as Microsoft, Google, Freddie Mac, and more are part of a newly launched job search platform uh, aimed at recruiting employees with autism. The portal, it's a career portal, and it's called the Neurodiversity Career Connector. It debuted last week, and it's, the purpose of this is to connect neurodivergent job seekers with employers. Uh, with companies that have neurodiversity hiring programs in place. And again, um, you know, for so long, we've all been talking about how important it is that, you know, our good friend, Joanne Laura would say, you got to have a seat at the table and you don't have a seat at the table unless you have a job. And then we, we saw that some employers were going, oh, look at how fabulous this talent pool is, that these are individuals who are, have mad skills, some of them. And, and others that have an attention to detail that they can't find from employer employees that are not neurodiverse. I mean, there's a lot of good reasons to hire folks that are on the spectrum. More and yes. more employees are seeing that. And yet, I, I think sometimes it just wasn't gelling. The talent pool was over here and the employers were over here and nobody knew how to find each other. So we right. love that Microsoft, Google, Freddie Mac, and more have teamed up. Microsoft is really driving the bus on this. Uh, and that there is a wonderful, wonderful website that you guys can go to. 
And in fact, I'm going to click on it here and tell you, I spent some time on it yesterday, ndcc.simplifyhire.com, ndcc.simplifyhire.com. And when you go there, you will get the Neurodiversity Career Connector and you can search jobs there and they're good jobs, jobs with Google, jobs with Microsoft, good jobs there. Um, And if you're an employer, there's also a tab that you can go to and start to to fill out if you have someone, a, a position that you would like to hire somebody. I think that's remarkable. I just happened to notice this morning that John Elder Robeson is looking for someone to come in and do some accounting. And he said, I, I don't even know where to start to look for this person. And, and he, and he said in his description, he said, I need somebody with attention to detail. And he said, maybe somebody with ADHD would be good for this job. Um, But, you know, now John Elder Robeson can go to the neurodiversity career connector and see if he can hire someone that is neurodiverse, which I think is amazing. Uh, So fantastic story. We look forward to hearing more about them. I actually reached out to them, Nancy, to see uh, if we can't do something with them. But now are we ready for our first guest? Because we we I'm going to shift to my left. All right. Shift to your left and welcome in the fabulous. Yay! Every time I see you, your hair looks significantly different, Ava. But it's it's always been great. Well, it's gorgeous. You have been one of my inspiration. Well, so thrilled that you are here with us. We always love hearing what you have going on and what you what you're doing. But Nancy, Nancy, we owe her a, a big introduction. A Give big her a big introduction. introduction. Okay. Well, Ava is the executive director of Special Spirit at Moonshadow Ranch, which is a ranch that um, uses uh, a learning model. Uh, for animal and equine-assisted therapy. And uh, Ava started Special Spirit in 2006. Uh, It came from her love of horses back in her native Sweden. And um, she uh, became aware of the incredible connection between animals and kids, all kids, uh, and neurodiverse kids. So um, Ava is a... Path International Certified Writing Instructor and an Agala Certified Equine Specialist. And she has many programs here at the ranch. Um, yeah, you have a few. Maybe mm-hmm. you can tell us about a couple of those. But the main reason we have you here today is because you've got a really great program coming up at the ranch. Yes. Well, we, we're going to have a summer camp here. And I'm very excited because I have a teacher that has her background in Montessori, Waldorf, and the Forest School teaching in Sweden. And she's been a teacher at something called the Vitra School in Sweden, where kids, all kids with all uh, abilities, have a chance to basically create their own curriculum. It's sort of, it's a freedom of learning, and they are out in the forest a lot we have a forest in Sweden, mm-hmm. and we're going to try and recreate that a bit during the summer here. And we're also going to work with the horses, walk and talk, uh, social guiding, and arts and craft, singing, dancing, and just have fun together. Amazing. And we're doing it for three weeks in July, 
July 11th and then the 18th. And I think it's the next one is on the 21st or something. If you go to our website, specialspirit.org, scroll down on the homepage, you will get a link to the, uh, to the camps. And okay. all the information is there. I always like to ask, who's the ideal camper? Like, how old are they? What, what, is, what are their ability levels? What are you looking for, Ava? Everybody, because everybody has the ability to be, to be at camp. And with the way it's set up with the regional center now is that if, okay, the requirement to be in a camp here is that you have to go be potty trained so you can go to the bathroom on your own and take direction. If you cannot do that, I know that regionals, through regional center, you can get an aid, one-on-one aid. And I think even some regional center pay for the, for the camp. Because the whole idea with my camps are that we all have different abilities. And I found that all kids figure out a way to help one another, whether they are typical, which I hate that word, because we're all, we're all the same yeah. in a way. So I've seen so many great friendships being created in our camps when a neurodiverse and a non-neurodiverse create friendships and do sleepovers or whatever. So they are like everybody else, which we try to create here. Yeah. Okay, so once again, where can people go to find out more information? If they go to www.specialspirit.org and scroll down to the bottom of the homepage that is Ranch Camps. And you click on that and it takes you to the page where all the information and people can also find out about information about taking riding lessons here. Yeah, what we're doing now is the walk and talk because we found that there is many therapeutic riding centers that offer riding. Our horses are getting old, so we do what's called walk and talk. We found that there's a lot of uh, uh, socialization that's missing among, mm -hmm. among our clientele of people. And with this, they can walk, they go out together in a little group and they talk to one another. Thank God, do they talk a lot? <laughs> Once they get going, you know. So I've seen, I've seen uh, one of the kids we had here in the beginning. He didn't want to be touched, uh -huh. and then just a couple of weeks later, he asked his uh, fellow rider if he could have a hug, uh -huh. and that is huge. It's great. And one of the things fun. you have, I'm, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, and then a, a new program that that was not my idea it was one of the kids that came here to ride and one day he brought a book and he stood in front of Cherokee one of the horses that Blippi rides and read to the horse and he read in such a ways with different voices and everything so the parents were in awe of him so now we have a little read to the animals program as oh, well great yes I love but that. that has not really been implemented yet but it's in the works there's so many it. other animals here besides the horses. There's uh, alpacas, there's goats, there's sheep, there's pigs, there's dogs, there's cats, donkey, uh, donkey horses. miniature horses. Yeah, we donated our miniature horse here, uh, Jasper Mini Moon. Yeah. And uh, so there are many, many other animals here besides just horses that kids can learn to bond with and yeah. communicate with. You have on your website, Ava, a quote from Dr. Temple Grandin that says, I wish more kids could ride horses today. 
People and animals are supposed to be together. We spend quite a lot of time evolving together and we used to be partners. And this is this is a quote you love. Tell us why. Well, I see. And, and that's the reasons why I started it, because my uh, my godson was here at the ranch and I saw the connection he got with the horses. And he's on the spectrum. He's now like uh, 28, 20. No, he's just turned 30. Mm. And uh, and that's what what I saw, the uniqueness with how animals so take us in if we allow to be present, which all our neurodiverse clienteles are, they're always present. Mm -hmm. And so if we can learn what they already know, we will be there soon. Amazing. So again, where do people go to get information about the camp? www.specialspirit.org, scroll to the bottom and click on ranch camps. There we go. There you go. Very cool. There it is. Yes. Look at all those different things that you guys have going on. Absolutely amazing. You're incredible, Ava. I don't know how you have the energy to do what you do. Because I have people like you and Nancy and many others around me. I don't do this on my own. No, I cannot take any credit. Just a little bit. I feed well, the animals. Your ranch is a very special place. I know it's it's a special place in Nancy's heart as well. Sure is. Yes. Amazing. Well, yes. we think, is there anything else that you guys want to talk about that's happening at the ranch? Uh, well, we do have a program that I'm the director of called Recovery at the Ranch, which is for uh, those in alcohol and drug addiction treatment centers mm-hmm. that we That's do. Yes, we do a uh, half day program here, which uh, employs a 12 step meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. We start with that. Then we take the participants on a tour of the ranch and have them bond with the other, with all the animals here, some of the ones that I had mentioned earlier. And then we do equine assisted learning uh, with the horses. And then we do meditation. Um, and so it's a it's a whole half-day program that we just recently started that we're very excited about. And now how can people find out more information about that, you guys? They go to that same page and go, go to uh, animal-assisted uh, therapy and activities. Okay. Uh, amazing. How is it going? It's going great. We've had a couple of groups out so far, and it's simply miraculous what we experienced. Uh, I know it's very near and dear to your heart, Nancy. Yes, I'm so proud of you that Thank you're doing you. that. Thank you. Uh, remarkable. And and again, I hope people know that if you hear something and you and you live in the Los Angeles area and you think I'd like to do that, but I can't afford to send my child to camp or I can't afford to do this, that you'll reach out anyway because sometimes there are other resources like the regional center and other things that can help you to be able to um, be able. To do the very minimal cost. You're very affordable, Ava. Uh, we, we always try to be creative and win-win is what we're looking for because, because sometimes people can help with things that we need here at the ranch and we barter. There we know. go. I yeah. love it. Mm-hmm. Love it and love you and love your sp- very special ranch there. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Well, I live here, so there was no problem. Thank you so much, Karen, <laughs> for having me on. And you can hang out for our second guest if you'd like. I don't I don't mean to push you away. If you want to hang out, you can, but if you have other things to do, 
we will excuse you. But I've been you listening like on the side here anyway. It's, I okay. love your programs. I love your well, programs. We love you. So it's all it's all mutual. Uh, but we are going to shift over to, uh, I, I, although I think I'm rushing things. We might have more time. Uh, no, our other guest is there. Uh, okay. Vanilla <laughs> so, here? Yes. Would you like uh, me to introduce her, Shannon? Yes, I would love it if you would do that, Nancy. We have such an accomplished guest. Her name is Wendela Whitcomb Marsh. She's an award-winning author. She is a board-certified behavior analyst, and she is an adult autism assessment specialist. Uh, she also has family members on the autism spectrum, and we're here to talk to her about her latest book, her latest book among many she's written, and it's called Recognizing Autism in women and girls. Welcome to the show, Wendela. Thank you. It's so lovely to be here with you. Thanks for inviting me. It's so lovely to have you. And I love the blue in your hair. It matches Shannon's. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. We're, we're matching today. You're matching. Um, <laughs> let's start with talking about your new book. Why are more boys than girls diagnosed with autism? And many people have asked me that question. And I've never really known how to answer it accurately. You know, that's a really important question to ask because there are so many more, as, as you know. Um, one thing girls are good at is imitating other girls. Um, they can mimic others. They put on a mask. Um, w when humans or animals get into a highly stressful situation, the, the choices are usually fight, flight, or freeze. Many boys will take flight. They will run away when they're under a lot of stress or they might fight and, you know, act out. But many girls choose freeze. When a little girl freezes, she just looks like a well-behaved little girl sitting nicely in class. Nobody thinks she's overstressed by the stimulation in the room. <clears throat> they're not aware of what's going on inside of her because she's learned to put on a mask. Um, and they do this uh, not purposefully, but it's a, it's a survival strategy. To get by. Uh, often with girls, there might be a mother hen type who will just take someone under their wing and kind of help them learn how to play. Or there might be a little school teacher in training type who likes to bring on a little girl who seems playable and she can be the teacher and, and kind of boss her around. And therefore, girls can be brought into groups of other girls, even if they don't have the social skills to try to join the groups themselves. Whereas Boys uh, aren't usually that type of kids. You know, they're not looking for someone else to to mother hen, as it were. We hear a lot from uh, adult uh, self-advocates, people on the spectrum about masking, both male and female. And, yes. I, I, and I, I love that you've already brought this up, but I'd love it if you would expand a little bit more because it's sounding more and more to me like that it looks completely different, the masking and the boys and the girls. Maybe if you could give us some more examples so that if there's a yeah. teacher or a parent that we can begin to recognize when and how a girl is masking so that we are aware of it. Wonderful question. Starting back in infancy, before they're actually masking, but subtle things that you might not notice, a typical infant will prefer to look at their parent's face. Uh, a, a neurotypical infant might prefer to look at the ceiling fan spinning around. And if you try to get between them and say hi, and there's like, get out of my way, I'm trying to look at the fan. That's a clue. That's an early red flag. Um, when you're in the grocery store, you know, sometimes you see a little child in, a, in the cart ahead of you waiting in line. 
and you try to say hi. And, you know, some will flirt back with you and some are shy and they'll like peek at you and then hide their face against their mother, but then peek back out because they're just shy. But a little girl who is more than just shy might put her face against her mother's arm and never look back up again. Um, when the kinds of um, mannerisms or stims that uh, many autistic people engage in, um, like hand flapping, can feel really good. And boys might do that. And people will look at them and go, whoa, what's wrong with you? Um, hopefully they don't say that. But you know that people have have been surprised by ways that people move. I wish people would just get over it and say, you know what? Some people like to flap their hands. Let them do it. Um, but but they, uh, they're more likely to get tested for autism if they're doing something outward. Many girls choose to do things like tapping their fingertips together. You know, maybe, maybe they flutter their hands, they're excited, they do a little jazz hands. And people say, oh, how cute. They don't say, is that autistic? When they spin around and around and around, people say they're dancing. They don't say it's a repetitive mannerism of spinning. Um, <clears throat> and as, as they get older, they just become better and better at mimicking other people. They try to adopt the same facial expression. They teach themselves how to make eye contact or how to fake it by looking between the eyes, for instance. Now, typical people don't spend much time thinking about eye contact. I never think about it. I didn't teach myself. Nobody taught me how to make eye contact. It's just kind of normal. I, I can't say normal without doing finger quotes, you know? <laughs> what is normal? But many of us don't ever think about eye contact. If someone spends a lot of time thinking, oh, no, they're going to expect eye contact. Which eye do I look at? How long do I look? But then I better look away for a few seconds um, or they'll think I'm creepy. But how many seconds? I better look back again. And they're doing all that in one side of their brain while they're also thinking, when is it my turn to talk? What would be an appropriate thing to say in that situation? Um, this doesn't match the script I made up for myself because they said the wrong thing. It's so hard to maintain all of that going on. Well, other people are just having a social conversation. We just wing it. And it's not stressful because it's what we do. But so many of these women then go when they eventually think there is something different with me. They go to their doctor or their therapist and say, I think I'm autistic. They're told, well, you can't be because you made eye contact. Nobody says, how hard is it for you to make eye contact? Did you teach yourself when you realized people expected it? Um, so those questions behind the what looks like typical behaviors. Um, don't get asked usually. And that's why I wrote this book. I'm hoping that women won't get told, oh, you can't be autistic when they believe that they might be. Uh, Wendela, are <clears throat> sisters of boys with autism likely to be autistic themselves more likely? Oh, good question. It does run in families, as we know. And um, so often, though, when I used to work in the schools, fairly regularly, we get twins where one was the one whose behaviors uh, were more visible, were more outwardly noticed. And so the parents thought, this is our autistic twin, but this one is our typical twin. This one is our, finger quotes, normal twin. Uh, often, the twin also was autistic, uh, but was, uh, words like higher functioning are not very useful in real life with real humans, but these are things that people think about but they both might be autistic, might be on the spectrum at some point. And girls 
while likely to be as likely as um as you know two boys are less likely to be noticed because um people are not expecting a girl to be autistic they believe the old four to one and think it's a boys it's a boys thing so the sisters don't often get recognized as as i wish that they would start being more recognized and so you, in your book, you talk a little bit about if a woman is going to go and seek out a diagnosis, that there are some tips that you give them to not, not to tell an untruth, but, but there yeah. might, what I hear over and over, honestly, Dr. Marsh, mm-hmm. is that I have a friend who goes through all the machinations and it, it go, you have to go through so much to get an adult diagnosis, Right. And then yes. they go and have the appointment and the person says, nope, you're perfectly fine because you have a job. You, maybe oh, you had a kid, you were in a relationship, that relationship fell apart, but you know, that happens to all kinds of people and you're working. So you're perfectly yeah. fine. And they leave and they go, but they didn't hear about the fact that I do this didn't and they didn't, them. they didn't hear about this. So you give some tips of things that you might want to talk about if you go to a professional. Tell us what some <laughs> of those tips are. Well, I, I would I would lead with, you know, in talking to the doctor, I would lead with the, I'm sure you're aware that autistic women mask and that they look different from males and that autistic people get married. I was married to an autistic man for 27 years. My late husband, we didn't know that he was autistic when we got married. You know, you just fall in love. But yes, autistic people get married and they fake eye contact if they can't make eye contact. So I think if she starts the conversation with, we know these things uh, and, you know, we know that there's masking, we know that autistic people can get married. Um, and, and I, you know, have taken, maybe she's taken some online tests. There are a lot of quizzes and tests and things online that people can take that will give information, but to lead with all the things that you think that the doctor might turn you down for, um, and then to be, it's its so hard when they've been masking to unmask in front of a stranger. But to be able to say, I am forcing eye contact right now and it's very, very stressful for me. And afterwards, I'm going to have to lie down for three hours because that's how hard it is for me. But because I'm here in a doctor's office, I have taught myself I must make eye contact. Um, but you need to know that's not normal for me. And after laying out who she is, then saying, and I think it's autism because here are the autistic traits. And women know how to go on the internet and read the DSM criteria. Now the DSM-5 criteria does not mention um, can't be married, can't have a job. It doesn't even say can't have eye contact. You can have eye contact and be autistic. So I hope that those tips will help people, help women to get their doctors to listen to them before they say, and now I'd like you to test me for autism now that I've shared these things about myself. Uh, Wendell, you have a section in the book um, that um, sections that are entitled in her own words from various authors. Who, yeah. who are these voices? Uh, tell us about them and what you learn from those women. Oh, thank you. Uh, In every book that I write, I always include at the end of every chapter, a little paragraph or a story or an anecdote written by actually autistic people, because I'm not autistic. 
I mean, I've learned a lot about it. I've lived with autistic people. It's my interest. It's my study and my career, but I'm not autistic. And that means I can't fully understand it the way an autistic person would. So I invite people and some of them are maybe relatives of mine. Some of them, many of them are people that I have worked with uh, and done assessments for. Um, and some, sometimes I might quote someone who is, you know, a, a famous autistic person in, in the uh, world you know, from the internet, but most of them are people that I've worked with who want to share something about themselves in the words of an autistic woman um, or a trans woman or a non-binary woman. Right. And let's, let's, you have a lot of books that are um, out, right? Um, not just this one. Let's talk a little bit about where people can get this book and where they can perhaps find some of your other books. Okay. Well, uh, this book is um, two days old as at this uh, taping. It, the launch date was May 2nd. And um, it's it's available any place that you buy books. <clears throat> so if some people go on Amazon, I, I tend to think Amazon probably has enough money so they don't need mine. But uh, <laughs> But that's a good place to buy books. But, you know, I don't know, Barnes and Noble, wherever you buy books, if you Type in the title or my name, Wendella Whitcomb Marsh. And that's one of my websites is www.wendellawhitcombmarsh.com. Um, and, you know, if somebody wanted to email me, they, you can find me at Dr. Wendy, that's just D-R-W-E-N-D-Y, at adultautismassessment.com. And what about your other books? Because uh, yeah. let's try tell let's us about your hip yeah. yeah, your first book is yeah, Wendell, your first book is uh, called The ABCs of Autism in the Classroom, Setting the Stage for That's Success. Right. Tell us a little bit about that book. Yeah, when I first retired and started writing, I took early retirement. It makes me sound younger if I say I took early retirement. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I my first 20 years, I'd been a special ed teacher. And then I became a school psychologist and then a, a licensed educational psychologist and then a board certified behavior analyst, although I never do ABA. Um, but when I learned behavior as starting to become a BCBA, I thought back to my early years as a young teacher and all the mistakes I probably made. And if I had known then what I knew as a behavior analyst, maybe I would have done things differently. So I wrote that book kind of to my younger self and other teachers who find that they have autistic kids in their classroom. Although the strategies work for all kids. So that was my first book and I loved writing that. My second book um, is called Independent Living with Autism, Your Roadmap to Success. And, and I, I have to brag a little bit. That one won the, uh, the um, what was the name of the award? The, the uh, it, was from, it was from Chanticleer International Book Awards in the nonfiction instructional and insightful category. And it was the, uh, the, the grant that was at grand. I'm thinking it was a G word. They got the grant. <laughs> I should remember my awards better. It did receive the grand prize in its category, which, um, was unexpected for me, but I was excited. Um, and that one, uh, is for adults and it looks at, um, a lot of different areas where adults struggle. And for each chapter, for each situation, I have five fictional characters. I also had five fictional students in my first book. 
But these five adults, ranging from an 18-year-old high school senior to a 63-year-old retiree whose grandson just got diagnosed, each of them, uh, of these autistic adults, uh, addresses the, the issues or the challenges or the problems of each chapter in different ways and find ways that work for them because one person's solution is not everyone's. So I followed these five fictional characters throughout the book. Um, I also co-authored a couple of books, um, mm -hmm. Autism Parenting Handbook with Dr. Ron Melmed. And while we were still writing that one and we weren't done, that one took like a year. And then the pandemic hit. And um, my middle daughter is a writer. And although she's not autistic, she, because of health concerns, she did a lot of homeschooling as, as you know, during school when she was not able to physically go to class. And she said that uh, I should write a book for all the parents who are suddenly homeschooling their kids because of the pandemic. And I was like, well, I'm still writing this other book. And she says, they probably need it now. So I asked my publishers, Future Horizons, Inc., and they said, yes, please write it. And can you have it in two weeks? <laughs> well, having spent the better part of a year on another book, I, I asked Siobhan, my daughter, I said, hey, will you write it with me? She was also an award-winning writer already. So she said, yes. So we just threw ourselves into it. You know, I would write for a few hours. Then I would take a break and she would write. And then I would read what she wrote and she would read what I wrote. And by the end of two weeks, we had a little book called Homeschooling Autism Style. And um, it's it's out there. And the the tips and ideas, yeah, there it is. Those tips are also good for, you know, summer vacations and weekends and other activities that you might want to do with your kids, even though you're not homeschooled. And um, let's see. Oh, I also see the um, Autism in Lockdown. I had one chapter in that, which turned into this book. Um, and hopefully we, there will be less of a need for that these days. Well, you so, are uh, certainly prolific. You are a prolific writer, Wendell. I, I love to write books. You know, it turns out that's the thing that I enjoy. Awesome. I've got two. Can I share my future books? Yes, please. I had a, I pitched an idea to my publisher about a book called Fixed Signals for fixing mixed signals for neurodivergent couples. Um, communication uh, support for that kind of a of a marriage or a couple having been half of one of those marriages, and um, and they said, uh, "Oh, what a good idea! Let's call it uh, lo love on the autism spectrum and have it out by Valentine's Day." And I said, "Well, that's a different good idea. <laughs> How about if I first write you a book called Love on the Autism Spectrum, all about dating?" Um, and then after we do that, then I'll write the book I wanted to write. And they said, yes. So I'm writing two books. Well, one at a time, <clears throat> but both about couples joining and becoming couples and dating at, at the beginning of one, one book. And the second book will be about neurodivergent couples who, you know, face communication issues and surmount them. And you obviously learned a lot about that from your own experience. That's correct. You know, I, I had the best husband in the world, so that probably helped. And he was autistic. So. Okay. Amazing. Now, you do you still <laughs> diagnose adults? I do. That's my day job. My afternoon job is writing books. But I see one client a day, um, and all I see is adults. Most of them are women. But I will also see men who come to me. Um, however, once my new website uh, 
adultautismassessment.com. Once it is live, I think I might have more clients than one a day. Um, and so I'm right now in a program learning to uh, expand from a solo practice to a group practice. And I will be training other uh, diagnosticians, other um, therapists, in how to use the tests that I've written, the questionnaires um, that uh, I, I've written a series of questionnaires because so many tests are written for children. And so many are normed on a predominantly male population because there was the belief that it's four, four to one. So naturally, that's the way that they would norm it. And that's why girls are getting missed. So I have developed my own uh, assessment tools. And um, my goal is to uh, to have a, a larger practice. Um, my certification is international, so I can see people all over the world. I've had somebody in Australia, Spain, Canada. Um, <clears throat> do they have to just, come physically to where you are, Dr. Marsh, or can they can you nope. do telehealth? I, I only do telehealth. That's all I do. And, well, you know, busy. that started, well... I, I kind of hope that I can hire new people before I get too busy because, um, you know, I, I, one step at a time. But I would love to be busy because my one of my favorite things to do besides writing books is working with people, especially women, who really have struggled all their lives and thought, I am such a failure at being a human. When in fact, they're not at all a failure. They're not failing at being a human. They're thriving as an autistic person in a world that is not meant, it was not created for autistic people. It, well, let me like, ask you this, because oh, we have yeah. lots of lots of people who, um, parents who will come to us and say, the more I've learned about my child, the more I identify. And uh, and so I, I think I should probably go, but they don't know where to go. And, oh. and we get a lot of people poo-pooing, but I, the question that is always asked is when people come to you, are there people who come who say, I think I might also be on the spectrum, but they're in fact not? Um, I have been good at weeding that out at the first. I always have a, a consultation a session first and an initial uh, like uh, assessment tool. Um, for the most part, neurotypical people do not sit around wondering if they're autistic. Mm. But occasionally that happens. Um, and uh, when when I find out early on that it looks like this is not going to be autism, then I've been able to either say, we can stop now and then you don't owe me the money. Mm. You don't pay me for me telling you, haha, you're wrong. There you go. Because it <clears throat> seems a little bit, you know, and I, sometimes I wonder if this is good, but it feels like it's a little bit the flavor of the month. You know what I mean? That people... yeah. People are doing things and, and I'll, I'm just going to say it. Sometimes people are behaving badly in their relationship and then they go, oh, well, look, oh. it's probably that I'm this. And we're hearing a lot of people in the autism community going, um, are, are they making That's sure that they weed these people out? But you're telling yeah. us that you are. I, I do. I've been doing this a long time. And, you know, sometimes I'll get one of these things where, you know, it's like, well, my wife said I'm autistic. Well, I think she's autistic. So sure, I'll get tested. But then you test her too. And we'll see who is this like, I do not want to get in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. occasionally there'll be someone who is really struggling, but it started at the pandemic. And when you talk about childhood, it's like none of those markers were there. Um, and that means, you know, I'm sorry you're struggling, but it is not autism if it's something new. 
Now, often it um, might appear to be new only because it has come more to a head. It was always there, always a struggle, but they were better able to mask and now they're exhausted. Or they suddenly realized, like at the beginning of the pandemic, many women discovered that what they thought was, thank goodness, I hate the reason for it, but I absolutely love sheltering at home. This is the best thing ever. And all my friends hate it. And they're really suffering and I'm loving it. And then the end of the pandemic comes and people are starting to go back to work and they're like, oh no, I don't ever want to go back. Yeah. Um, and then Why would you just describe me and Nancy? Because at the beginning <laughs> of the pandemic, I was like, look, you know, I get to stay home. Woohoo! Not about the yeah. pandemic, not about what was happening yes. and people yeah. who, was, who were sick and loss of life and loss of work and all the other things. Yes. But it was not your favorite thing, Nancy. No, I... I didn't like staying at home. I'm not, to me, I want to be out there and going to places and uh, did not like the whole, uh, you know, staying in and the Zoom thing. And And I'm having the hardest time now going back out. And I've warned people (laughs) that I was going to have. And I'm, yeah, I I am with you. And yet I'm also not autistic. I'm just a little more um, introverted. I like being home with my family. Yeah. Um, but uh, the questions in my questionnaire, well, the, the pre-question, the pre-test that I give them, it's not really a pre-test, but the first test that I give them that gives me results, talks a lot about the probability of does this person have autism across a number of different um, categories. Got it. And the profile that I see most often, uh, social awareness might be a relative strength, maybe not up to where the what they call the within normal limits, but compared to their other scores, that's a strength because they have been able to look around and mimic other people in mask. And that same awareness brings them to, to come to the assessment to say, oh my goodness, something is really different. But other scores might be very low, like social communication and social um, uh, motivation is usually the most autistic-like score that, that people get. But the tests that I've written are directly related to the DSM-5 TR, text revision. And for every item on that, uh, you know, criterion, I I have developed questions that are kind of ways to get behind the mask and find out the real, you know, like, how do you really feel about this? Uh, And so often I'm happy when I get people saying, oh, my goodness, yes. Oh, you're really calling me out here, you know, because they're, they're not these simple, do you blah, it's, uh, and of course I can't think of one offhand. Well, you and don't want to give away the secret I don't, Yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to tell all my But questions. let's tell people, because people are going to want to yeah. know. People ask me at least yeah. five times a week, where can I go to get an adult diagnosis? And I never know yeah. where to send them. So how are they getting a hold of you? Bring Yes. Dr. Wendy, D-R-W-E-N-D-Y at Adult Autism Assessment. Dot com. There we go. It's on the screen and right both now. Both of those are okay. Oh, cool. Dr. Is Wendy at, at adultautismassessment.com. Amazing. Uh, I, I don't see it, but maybe I have to touch it's it. On the, anyway. It's on the very bottom of the screen there. Oh, uh, and we'll make yeah. sure that we put it in the in the Thank comments you. underneath the video. So oh, we're, on, we're out of time, yes, unbelievably. What a great well, conversation. Been lovely. Yes, yeah, it's been so lovely. Great. Thank you for inviting me. This has been so much fun. And We'd I would love, love to talk to Anybody that you send my way, I will just be so happy to meet them. Well, I'm probably going to bury you in people. So thank you. (laughs) We'll, We'll find a way. Yeah.
All right. Thank you to both of our lovely guests, Ava Lund from Special Spirit Ranch and to Dr. Wendela Whitcomb-Marsh. And Nancy, thank you to you as well. We are back on Monday. And on Monday, we have uh, Paul Carroll, who is the host of the podcast, The Dadvocates. And so I'm really excited to be talking with him. Then on uh, Tuesday, of course, we have Dr. Doreen Grampichet, and we've got an amazing week the rest of the week, but it all evades me in this moment right now. Uh, <laughs> we'll tell you more about that at the start of next week. But thank you all for being here, and thank you, Nancy. We'll be back on Monday. Until then, oh, don't forget, tomorrow we're going to re-air the first episode of Stories from the Spectrum. That's right. what's happening tomorrow, and if you haven't seen that we really want you to support and throw some love at that show because we're it's it's just showcasing talent on the autism spectrum all of the segments are completely produced directed made by people who are neurodiverse they're artists and uh, and so that's a remarkable thing we hope you'll check it out uh, but then we'll be back here live on Monday. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me. And yourselves a hug from me. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye for now. Bye.